Hello everyone and welcome back to For the Love of True Crime. As always, I would like to give my usual disclaimer that I mean absolutely no harm towards any of the people I discuss in this case. These are simply opinions or facts that I have learned about the case from the internet that I am compiling into one video. I would also like to give a quick warning that this case does involve mentions of alcohol and drug abuse, death of small children, and very emotional details. So if that isn't your vibe, then please click off now. Today's case, like my last video, is not necessarily a murder case, rather a tragic event that ended up taking several lives. We will be discussing the death of Diane Schuler and the eight others as a result of a car crash. Diane Schuler was born Diane Hance on November 13, 1972, in New York to Warren and Eileen Hance. She was the eldest of four children as the couple went on to have three sons. Diane experienced tragedy from a young age when her mother left the family. Due to her loss, Diane was left in charge of caring for her younger brothers, cleaning the house, and preparing meals. She became the, quote, mother at the young age of nine. With the responsibility of taking care of everything and everyone, Diane began to feel a lot of resentment for the situation. She especially hated her mother. She rarely spoke of her and absolutely refused to speak with her. But in high school, Diane was an excellent student and an athlete, with her main sport being soccer. She decided to attend Nassau Community College for a few years on and off before she met Daniel Schuler, and the couple went on to marry and have two children together. Their names were Brian and Aaron, and Brian was born in 2004, and Aaron was born in 2007. During their marriage, Diane definitely wore the pants in their relationship, and she made most of their decisions which is great, but Diane was a very impulsive person. I actually read somewhere that Diane went out for groceries once and came home with a brand new Jeep car. So that just tells you how impulsive she could be. Diane was also known for being an aggressive driver who would typically lay on her horn at the expense of someone else's mistake. Diane's friends were aware that she would occasionally smoke marijuana before bed as she suffered from insomnia, but she was not a drinker. She would have two drinks maximum at a social event, but she never drank by herself. Something important to know before I tell you about the fatal weekend is that Diane was in physical and mental pain. She was a lifelong diabetic but did not manage the disease. In the weeks leading up to her death, she had an abscessed tooth and was in great pain, but like most people, and me, she hated the dentist and refused to go. Much like her physical health, she did not prioritize her mental health, which is unfortunate because she was experiencing a lot of trauma from her childhood. Now let's talk about the weekend full of death. It was the last weekend in July in the year 2009. Diane and Daniel decided to drive their family to Hunter Lake Campground in Parksville, New York, about 140 miles from their home. Along with their children, the couple brought Daniel's brother, Warren's three daughters, Emma, who was eight, Allison, who was seven, and Katie, who was five. The families were close, and Warren and his wife Jackie were happy to send their children on the camping trip. For the trip, in order to transport all the children, Warren and Jackie decided to lend the family their red minivan. Everyone who survived the event remembers that they had a fantastic weekend. The children played games outside, and the adults relaxed. On Saturday night, Diane was seen smoking a joint and drinking, quote, campfire cocktails with the alcohol the couple kept in their trailer for their camping trips. Midday on Sunday was when the families were scheduled to arrive home. 
The couple needed to get back home for work on Monday, and one of the girls had a dance recital Sunday evening. On Sunday morning, Daniel woke up bright and early at 5 a.m. so that he could clean up their boat and clean the two cars they brought for the trip, his pickup truck and his brother-in-law's red van. Two hours later, everyone else woke up and started to get ready to leave the campsite. Around 9.30 a.m., everyone was ready to go. Daniel left with the family dog in his pickup and Diane was in charge of driving herself and the kids in the van. The owner of the campsite actually witnessed the family's leaving and claimed that they, quote, seemed in good spirits and did not notice anything out of the norm. Around 10 a.m., Diane made a stop at the nearby McDonald's so that she and the kids could eat breakfast before their long trip home. They dined in and the employees who worked that morning later stated that everything seemed fine and happy with the family. 30 minutes later, everyone was full and they hit the road again. They drove home for 13 more minutes before Diane stopped at a gas station convenience store. She kept the kids in the car and went inside the store alone. There was actually CCTV footage of her entering the store and she could be described as looking stressed. She asked the clerk if they sold Tylenol gel caps and she got upset when he told her that they didn't carry them. After leaving the store still looking stressed, Diane began driving home very aggressively. She was seen weaving in and out of lanes, tailgating people, honking her horn, and even driving in two lanes at a time. Now let's discuss the phone calls made during the drive home. There were several calls made starting at 11.37 a.m. when she called Jackie to inform her that they would be running a little late. Jackie remembers nothing unusual about the call and said everything seemed fine. Eight minutes later, a witness saw Diane parked on the side of the road in a position that made it seem like she was vomiting. Two minutes until 1 p.m., eight-year-old Emma made a call from her aunt's phone calling her dad. She told her father, quote, Daddy, there is something wrong with Aunt Diane. She is having trouble seeing and she is talking funny. Emma then handed the phone to her aunt at her father's request and this is when Diane told her brother that she felt strange. He directed her to pull over and he would meet them wherever she was and get them to safety. While speaking to each other, the phone randomly disconnected. Warren immediately called back and spoke with his daughter who described their location, which was Tappan Zee Bridge Toll Road. He instructed Diane to pull over safely and stay where she was, but she continued to drive. After disconnecting again, Warren attempted to call back but got no answers as Diane's phone was now on a guardrail near the toll booths. At precisely 1.33 p.m., there were two calls made to 911 to report Diane's vehicle driving down a one-way exit, but she was going down the wrong way, at 85 miles per hour. Four calls to 911 followed, describing Diane squinting while driving in the wrong direction down the highway. 1.7 miles later, Diane hit a Chevy Trailblazer head-on. This car was being driven by 81-year-old Michael Bastardi and his 49-year-old son was in the passenger seat. And also their family friend named Dan Bongo, who was 79 years old, was sitting in the back seat. Another vehicle was hit during the accident, which was a Chevy Tracker. After the accident, the red minivan swerved into a grassy area and burst into flames. Everyone in the Chevy Trailblazer died on impact along with Diane Schuler, her daughter, and her three nieces. The only people to survive the horrific accident were the people inside the Chevy Tracker and Diane's son, although he had several severe injuries. After witnessing the horrendous crash, many people came to the rescue to try to pull the passengers out of the car on fire. A man who ended up pulling Diane out spotted a broken bottle of vodka in the car. 
Luckily, Diane's son recovered from all of his injuries, but he has no memory of the crash or the moments leading up to everyone's deaths. Let's move on to the investigation of the accident. The first alarming sign was the broken vodka bottle the man spotted inside of the vehicle. Nine days after the crash, Diane's toxicology reports were released, and they stated, quote, Diane had a blood alcohol content of 0.19%, the equivalent of 10 drinks and more than twice the legal limit, as well as a high blood level of THC, the active ingredient in marijuana. It was determined that Diane would have smoked marijuana as soon as 15 minutes before the crash. Every family involved with the victims of the crash were not surprisingly devastated by their losses and by the toxicology report. Daniel Schuler went on The Larry King Show on CNN and denied that his wife would deliberately drink and drive with all of the kids in the car or purposely kill herself and all the passengers in the car. Daniel was in denial of the toxicology report, which only made the families feel worse about the situation. In the midst of lawsuits against him, Daniel actually went on to sue his brother-in-law, who was the owner of the red minivan, but it was later dismissed. There are several theories as to what happened that afternoon, which include deliberate intoxication, accidental intoxication, a mental breakdown, and several medical explanations. First, let me tell you what Diane's husband thinks happened. He believes that Diane drove the way she did because of a stroke she was having. Because of her lifelong diabetes that she didn't treat, this can increase the odds of her having a stroke. However, after an autopsy of Diane's body was done by the Westchester County Medical Examiner's Office one day after the crash, it was determined that Diane did not have an aneurysm, a heart attack, or a stroke. Daniel believed that due to the stroke, Diane wasn't in her right mind and drank out of the bottle of vodka thinking it was water. And despite Daniel's best efforts to clear his wife's name, the NYPD released their final report of the crash after 11 months of investigation. They stuck to the toxicology report that she was very drunk and high, which led to the crash. Another theory of what happened was that Diane had some kind of mental breakdown leading up to the crash. All of her life, she experienced an immense amount of pressure and maybe she just cracked. She could have lost all sense of reality and grabbed the bottle of vodka to diminish the pain. Lastly, did Diane purposely get drunk and high in order to kill herself and everyone in the car that day? Based on witness statements from the campsite owner, McDonald's employees, and the gas station clerk, I personally do not think it was premeditated murder. All witnesses prior to the accident and the erratic driving stated that Diane seemed sober and happy and so were the kids. I don't think it's possible for someone to act that way if they were planning on murdering the children. But we also never would have guessed that Chris Watts would murder his whole family, so I don't really know. Unfortunately, we'll never really know what happened that afternoon. The toxicology and autopsy reports tell part of the story, but they don't tell us how we got there. Did Diane purposefully drink and smoke? Did she intentionally leave her cell phone on the guardrail to cut off communication with her brother? We'll probably never know. If you guys found this case interesting, I know this was a shorter video, I'm very sorry, but there is a documentary by HBO called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. This is probably the most upsetting thing, documentary, docuseries, movie, whatever you want to call it, that I've ever seen. It's just very traumatizing to watch. The movie covers the case and the accident and the aftermath and the prior events that happened. 
And I will give a warning that they do show pictures of Diane's dead body after she was pulled out of the car, which I personally think is so disrespectful to her and her family. But that's another that's another whole video. But anyway, it is a very upsetting documentary. So if this video upset you, then I wouldn't watch the documentary because it goes into way more detail and it's just absolutely heartbreaking. But it's good for educational purposes. It does tell the story. It does give you details. And if you like this case, then maybe you should watch it. But definitely try to skip the pictures because they are just ingrained in my mind now. I know I just recently started giving my opinions at the end of videos, but this opinion's going to be kind of lame. My thought is that I have no idea what happened that day. A stroke was a good explanation as it would have made sense why she may have drank that much vodka and smoked a joint. But the autopsy disproves that. So why did this quote super mom snap and why did this happen? I genuinely don't know. My heart goes out to all of the families that were affected by this accident. When I think about how terrified those children must have been in that car, my heart just absolutely shatters and sinks to my stomach. It was a tragic event that could have been prevented if the right precautions were taken. Before I sign off, I want to give some resources to you guys. There is a national hotline for people facing mental and or substance abuse disorders. If you or someone you know is suffering from this, please call 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. They are open 24-7, 365 days a year, and they speak both English and Spanish. Please don't wait until it's too late or until things get worse. Don't be afraid to put yourself first and please take care of yourself. But that's going to do it for me on this case. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe if you would like to see more of my content and make sure to leave what you think happened in this case and your thoughts in the comments down below. And please, please, please respect each other. This is a safe space for anyone who may stumble upon this channel. And as always, stay safe out there because you never know who you can trust.